Hey gang, Wes Buck here, Drag Illustrated Magazine, checking in. It is Wednesday, March 31st. Is that right? 2021. Holy cow. Another glorious day here in the greatest uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. We got the sunshine and it's, it's one of my favorite things about Texas are these Texas skies, these, these Texas, this Texas weather. It's amazing. We, we, we definitely pay for it. We pay a little bit of a tax in the summer come August when it's like 108, you pay for it a little bit, but man, on a, on an afternoon in the middle or end of March going into a uh, springtime here, it couldn't get any better. And obviously we've got a ton to talk about real quick though. How about that video from my guys at Kings Ridge Media? Shout out to Dion Walrath, who put that together, was down there in Orlando with us the entire week, shooting footage, compiling footage, flying drones around, running around, interviewing people. And it's uh, actually just a, a tidbit of all the content that we have that we'll be pouring out uh, via Drag Illustrated and, and various other outlets over the course of the next several months as we try to build more excitement for this event, uh, Event, excuse me, kind of build some of the hysteria and tradition and rituals around it. So very exciting. If you guys remember, if you need stuff like that done, hit, hit a brother up. If you, we, We're very proud of this stuff. We feel drag racing events specifically. A lot of times you almost, you need like a wedding video. It, all the effort that goes into it, all the work that goes in it, all to all the money that goes into it. It just seems fitting that you have something that you can look back on and show your friends or share with your family or post on the interwebs for people to see what happened and how it looked and how it felt and try to capture some of that energy and enthusiasm of an event. And obviously there's no better way to do it than with a video. So if you need stuff like that done, remember to hit us up. You can reach out to Drag Illustrated to our sister company, Kings Ridge Media, and uh, we'd be happy to take care of you. But enough about us. We got a lot of ground here uh, to cover here in a relatively short, short amount of time. So let's get going. It's written on the board. It's unavoidable, funny car, freaking chaos. I hardly know where to start with all this. And before I dive into it, I do want to remind you guys, A, thank you for being on here. Thank you for participating with us every Wednesday, being a part of the, the drag racing conversation, the, the water cooler, we like to call it. Please remember to click like, click share, smash that share button, spread the good word. It makes a huge difference for us. And we really appreciate it because we, we pride ourselves in delivering to you the gospel of drag racing. We preach the good news. We preach the good word. And we want to share that with as many people as possible. So please, if you don't mind, click share, click like, makes a huge difference. And it helps us spread the good word of drag racing and all the positive things that are going on in the sport right now. People need to know about them. It seems like bad news travels fast. Whenever something happens or whatever, it spreads like wildfire. And I ask you today, let's make sure that when good things are happening, when great things are happening, mind you, in the sport of drag racing, let's make sure those things spread like wildfire too, because they deserve it. Those, these events, these happenings, these moments, these records, all these different things, all these incredible men and women that make up the sport of drag racing, let's share them with the same enthusiasm and spread that message with the same enthusiasm and, and um, commitment that we often do with bad news. So again, Going to take a lot of time today to try to cover the entire scope of Chris Graves and Tara Graves, his wife's big production this past weekend at the Texas Motorplex, the legendary Texas Motorplex, just down the road from me outside Dallas and Ennis, about 55 miles from where I sit at this moment. And just, I guess I got to start with a huge tip of the cap, man. Uh, I think that this event 
by and large, delivered in spades. There was a tremendous amount of hype regarding surrounding this event. And I was so thrilled to just see, in my opinion, for the most part, it live up to that in every imaginable way. I thought about this a lot and it was like leading up to the event. I got tons of notes. So I apologize. 68 funny cars. We could talk about that alone probably for the rest of the show because that kind of show of strength for an eliminator in 2021 for any drag racing eliminator in 2021 let's be honest i mean typically those type of entry lists those types of numbers the 50 60 70 into the hundreds and whatever that that stuff's typically reserved for big money bracket races um, classes like radio versus the world at its height, right? Um, people used to talk all the time, love to tell the stories of 40 pro mods, 40 plus pro mods at Rockingham during the IHRA spring nationals. I'm trying to think of some other great example, like the ADRL, uh, at its height when there'd be 30 some pro extreme cars, when they ventured down into South Texas to get this kind of participation for a funny car race. I don't know where to start, honestly, because I think, there's so many factors at play. And I think that it's, there's a couple things because Chris and Tara Graves, the folks at Funny Car Chaos, the whole series, everybody that's involved with it, their sponsors, racers, fans, series officials, the, the folks at Andy Carter and the gang at, at the Texas Motorplex, TJ, Eric, everybody that's involved with that operation. I hope they're all walking around this week with like their chest puffed out, right? Like they should be walking around like shoulders wide, chest out, because they did something, friends. They did something really, really significant in the sport of drag racing. And I just, people are going to be talking about this happening for years and years and years to come. And one of the things that I kind of, kind of noticed that I thought was unique about Funny Car Chaos, both before and after the fact, was this really unique kind of community pump up that happened. And you don't see that that often, to be honest. I don't know that I've seen an event for a while that has had this much pre-race enthusiasm from fans, from racers, uh, from the media, especially. I mean, one of the things that really stuck out to me was all these West Coast drag racing photographers, legends in our sport, like Richard Shute from Auto Imagery, all these folks that traveled tremendous distance to support this event. It's been a long time, really. And I mean, it stinks because I've got to lump my own events myself into this category. But seeing both sides of the Motorplex's very, very famous quarter mile lined with photographers, that's just such a special thing. I remember a couple of weeks ago, somehow I stumbled across some old YouTube clip of an NHRA national event. And I think it was like indie in the mid 90s or something like that. It was, I was watching a pro stock deal. Anyways, and it was just cool looking at like all these photographers and there's, you know, the, most of them are in like uniform shirts, you know, they're wearing a polo with some sort of brand or media outlet on it. And it just, it felt, it adds to the significance in my opinion, when you have that many members of the media there, it reminds me of like lights out seven lights out eight, where there was just, you'd show up and I'm like, who the hell, who are all these people? Like I go to drag races all the time and I've never seen any of these people. Who are they? Where do they come from? And in those moments, a lot of times, you know, some of the hardcore media, like, I don't know who all these people are. This should be, I, I get all that. That's a conversation for another day. My point is just that that brings something. It really does. I mean, for the promoter, it's a whole bunch of 
publicity. It's a whole bunch of added exposure, both before and after the fact. These photographers in this day and age, they can't wait to show their stuff on social. All of that's all of that material, all of that content that gets posted online only serves to bolster the event, only serves to to drive eyeballs to the event and, and grow it, it kind of organically. So seeing all that media attention and all the people that were so excited to go, it just reminded me of, I think that's unusual. I found it to be very unusual. I mean, everybody there's, I'm not saying that people aren't generally excited to go to whatever drag race is coming up next, but there was just a really unique air of maybe it was the history. It was this kind of, it, it smacked nostalgic, right? There's all these thoughts and feelings we all get when we think about funny cars at Lions Dragway or Lions Drag Strip or Orange County International Raceway out in Southern California. You start to think about these huge funny car fields. And I think to recreate that moment, so many racers, so many racing series, so many promoters spend their days chasing their past, chasing the ghosts of yesteryear. These these big moments they had in the past. And, and by and large, I think, I think I've said that twice. We can start a drinking game. If murder Tundra's paying attention by and large will be the, the chug along word or phrase of the day. But there is that whole, I lost my train of thought running my mouth about by and large, but it happens, right? It happens out here. My point is just that that kind of enthusiasm or that kind of recreation of the past is just not, Typically, it doesn't happen, right? I've talked to race promoters before where we'll have a conversation about what they're trying to accomplish. And all they want to talk about is how it used to be. Like, oh, I remember I went to, you know, don't you remember when we used to go here and there was all these people and all these cars or whatever, and that's what we want to do. And I feel bad for them sometimes because I think they just, they're looking back all the time and trying to recreate this. And, and those moments uh, and those events and those things that have happened in our sports history, they're special for a reason because they're hard to create in the first place, even more difficult to recreate a second or third or fourth or fifth time, right? That's why events like, Donald Long. I think people get tired of talking about Donald. I really do. I think he's so present, so visible. I think people, but what he's done is very significant. Being able to turn lights out in the sweet 16 in relatively short order, no mercy, being able to turn these events into something that people look forward to talk about year round and having done that for over a decade when it comes to lights out now, sweet 16 in its fourth, uh, fourth go round this coming weekend in Valdosta at South Georgia Motorsports Park to do that and create that kind of enthusiasm that lasts is so hard. It's so incredibly difficult. So I tip my cap to guys like that and promoters that have found a way to stand the test of time. So when you look at someone like Chris and Tara Graves coming in, trying to put on this spectacle of a funny car race, the pre the expectation being so high, they pumped up the event really well. I think they did a fantastic job marketing the event online. Uh, I've heard a lot in the market, a lot of buzz in the greater DFW area. If you're a car guy, pretty much of any shape, size, any variation, you knew this event was happening this weekend. So to, to face that kind of pressure and likely I'm putting words in their mouths a little bit, but I would imagine feeling the pressure to recreate this. Everybody's already seeing they're closing their eyes. They're thinking about funny car chaos and they're instantaneously comparing it to the sights, sounds, feelings, and emotions that they had thinking of 
Lions, 64 funny cars at, at Lions Dragway or whatever, right? And I just, to, to be facing that, I mean, it doesn't get talked about. There's a lot of pressure there. And then to deliver, incredible. And when you talk about 68 funny cars, um, and, and I want to say real quick, I'm going to inject, inter, interject here. I was just taken by this kind of entire community rallying around this event that I think is fairly rare. Like I said, I don't think it happens a lot. And there's some magic, in my opinion, that comes when the effort is really focused on building something up as compared to tearing it down. Because I see that a lot, right? Social media, these social media networks, it's its fantastic in the way it's allowed so many of us to connect. It's allowing me to connect with you right now. It's allowing me to engage people around the world from the comfort of our own shop, right? It's its so magical in so many ways. But there is the another side to that coin, right? Absolutely. And it's kind of goes back to some of that bad news travels fast that I was talking about earlier and a little bit of piling on that tends to happen. And this isn't just drag racing. This is across the board, all sports, all things, politics, somebody posts something that they, a feeling they have or something that they're looking forward to or whatever. And it just seems inevitable that someone jumps in there and says, well, I went to that deal last year and it sucked. And then someone else piles on. And the next thing you know, what started as someone expressing their excitement for this event that's on the horizon or whatever deteriorates into one bashing after another, and then someone getting offended and trying to defend it. And it's just this really nasty, vicious cycle. And I hope everybody maybe could take a step back and look at what happens when the effort is focused on building something up instead of tearing it down. Now, there's a lot of pieces to that. There's, as I like to say, there's a lot of layers to that onion, right? I think a lot of people look at someone like Chris Graves, this young promoter that, that started out crewing on cars, taking pictures, going to the racetrack with his dad, standing along fences, sitting in the top row of grandstands, spent all this time at the racetrack and to see him living out his dream and putting on this major event and having really cemented himself or, or established himself as a top flight promoter in the biz, right? I mean, he's in the conversation. Everybody, it's easy to celebrate, no doubt about it. And if you compare like that kind of super exciting, heartwarming, feel good movie of the summer situation to like, I think everybody's favorite bad guy, the NHRA that's been doing this for 70 years, has done all sorts of incredible things and whatever hurt some feelings along, whatever. I understand that it's easier to cheer on uh, an independent vote, uh, excuse me, an independent event and an independent young promoter that's on the come up. That's easy to rally behind. But I do hope we all recognize that there's some real magic. Really? I mean, some really great things that can happen when we're all working towards a common goal, when we're all cheering one another on and drag racing. It's funny. I had a call with a lady yesterday that knows nothing about racing, totally unrelated other business endeavor. And she talked about how I was talking to her about drag racing, super clicky, right? It, it, people click up. It's like high school, whether it's at the track or around the country, different series, there's just all these clicks and pockets of people. And it's very interesting and it's fun to watch for like, it's fun to be in it and it's fun to watch it from afar. And one of the things I see happen is like this group of racers kind of cheer one another on and, and this group of racers cheer one another on and so on and so forth. But there's not a lot of like community cheering. Right. And not enough, in my opinion, what I feel part of the secret sauce, I truly believe with funny car chaos 
was some community cheering. I mean, it felt like we were at like, I felt like I was at a high school pep rally for the two weeks leading up to funny car chaos. It was inescapable. I go back to the photographers and the media interest from around the country, all these fans and all these racers that were so excited to go. You've got, and I'm going to talk about this a little later, but I mean, you got Del Warsham coming from California. You got Scott Palmer building a funny car just to participate in this event. You've got, right? I mean, it just so many levels to it, so many different things, but it really did feel like it felt special. It just felt unique to me that I wasn't seeing anybody bagging on it. I wasn't seeing anybody complaining about it. What I wasn't hearing any talk of what, what was and what wasn't or whatever. And I don't even know some of those nuances, but I just know that historically having spent my entire life in the sport of drag racing, typically, generally speaking, wherever you look, the conversation almost inevitably turns to what this group sanctioned series track promoter is doing wrong. Right. That, I mean, I go to a racetrack most weekends, right. And have for a long time, many of them earning a living, which is something I feel very blessed to, to be able to do. But I can't count the number of times I get to a racetrack and it's glorious sunshine and all this magic's happening, right? People are racing, tires are smoking. I mean, I can smell race fuel. I'm getting excited just talking about it, right? But I walk up to Joe Racer's pit and the conversation immediately turns to how shitty their parking spot is or how screwed up the schedule is this weekend or how much it costs to get in, or how much they paid, had to pay to get their crew guys in or whatever. And I just, I didn't feel that at all with the, with funny car chaos. I didn't hear any of that. And I'm sure it happened. I'm not saying this, I'm not saying any event is really without flaw, but I was just real. I felt something special happen and I'm just happy for everybody that was involved. I want to send really sincere praise and and congratulations to Chris and Tara Graves, uh, Andy Carter, Eric, TJ, Billy, everybody involved with the Texas Motorplex. They have a great staff there. Everybody that put the racers that supported this coming from all points of the globe, all points of the country, this level of participation, that level of support and buy-in, that's what it's all about. That's what it takes. I'll tell you, that's what it takes. And I think this is something that's going to be special for a really, really long time. Not only are people going to be talking about the 2021 running of the Funny Car Chaos event for a long time, but I think it only goes bananas from here. Can you recreate, I've been using that word a lot as well, the 70 funny cars forever? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know that it matters. I think that this is going to be a moment in drag racing history, a moment in time that we're going to talk about and celebrate for a long time. But I think they've, they've put themselves on the map. This is going to be an event that people look forward to that is very inclusive. There's, you know, when it comes to these events like this, where there's like kind of a nostalgia component, you have this whole uh, school of thought, this whole group of people that are take the nostalgia aspect really serious, like the the period correct cars and period correct gassers, Southeast gassers association comes to mind. Quain Stott's incredible group based out of the East coast. These are period correct cars painstakingly uh, produced to, to be real replicas of what they were 40, 50, 60 years ago. Right? So that's not what the funny car chaos is about. That's not what funny car chaos is about. Funny car chaos is about inclusion. It's about bringing all these people together that share a passion, that share a common interest, a certain style of car they like, 
and letting it all hang out and seeing who lands where. And I just, drag racing needs more of this. And it just, it hits me like a ton of bricks, guys. Everything, it turns me emotional or whatever, but it just, um, my dad used to give me a hard time all the time about wearing my heart on my sleeve. And I guess I kind of feel it in moments like this where I get super wound up or excited, but drag racing, this is what we need. We need these stark reminders of why we do this stuff, right? There's a website I used to Google. I used to, I'm very odd, right? I used to just Google fuel alters. I love fuel alters. I have a bit of a secret passion for fuel alters. It's not as well known or well talked about as my, my love affair with pro mod and pro stock drag racing and door slammer drag racing in general. But I've been a fuel alter guy since way back. Right. And I used to just Google fuel alters and I would collect photos of Nanook and, and rat trap. And I would just, you know, that pull these photos off the internet, put them in a folder. And I don't know why I did that. Cause I don't know what you're ever going to do with them. I think it was fun and probably something I did to kill time or whatever. But I look back at that stuff and it's to see, I don't know, to see that this kind of enthusiasm and this kind of excitement around that style of racing and to see this thing kind of come back into the mainstream. It's just, it's fantastic. Uh, One of the websites I was going to mention that I used to find photos on all the time was we did it for love.com. And I actually don't know who's behind that site. I don't know if it's still active. Actually, I haven't looked in a while, but that domain name always just got me. We did it for love.com. And it's all this recollection of old fuel alters, right? And it's a kind of like broken down from years, I think like 60s, 70s, whatever. But just that domain name to me, that phrase, we did it for love. That's that should be like the slogan of the of funny car chaos doing thing. This is what happens when things are done for all the right reasons. And I want to give kudos. Not only I've said enough about Chris and Tara Graves, right? I've said enough about Texas Motorplex, the racers that supported this deal that came from all over the country. I can't say enough. Thank you. I mean, I mean it. I have no, I have no skin in the game. It, it, it impacts me none. Uh, but I thank you sincerely because this is what our sport needs. People being reminded that we do it because we love it. Sure. There can be some money made. Sure. There's opportunities out here. No question. But in my opinion, the reason we drive all night, the reason we work ourselves into the ground, the reason we spend money, maybe we don't have put ourselves in precarious situations is because we love going drag racing. Right. And what I saw at funny car chaos was a whole lot of people that love going drag racing. And we need more of that. We really do. I'll talk about it more, but I will say that when I looked at the event early on and I had some conversations about this and I had some concerns, let's be, my whole thing on the show, on this podcast is to try to be honest with you guys. And I looked at that entry list, right? And it was like being thrown around a lot. Like I was getting it texted to me, like, do you see all these cars that are going to funny car chaos? I was getting all these texts about it and emails. Um, My initial thought was like, holy crap, this could become a calamity in a millisecond. We're like one oil line coming loose, one blower backfire, engine explosion, full track oil down from this deal being a five alarm fire. And with a two day event, Friday, Saturday, it's hard to recover from that stuff. 
really is. I mean, if you lose an hour, lose two hours, whatever, you you chase it, you never really reclaim it. I mean, maybe there are examples of, of promoters or event organizers that have pulled it off, but you lose time like that. It's incredibly difficult to get back on track. And so when I look at the entry list, I go, oh my God, this, this is a lot of race cars. Like if this is a lot of anything, if I had 60 pencils, it's a lot. If I had 60 cans of soda, it's a lot. If Murder Tundra drank 60 cans of beer, that's a lot. I've seen him do it. Close. 68 funny cars? That's a lot, man. It's a lot. No matter how much time you have, no matter what kind of weather, no matter what's going on, that's a lot. It's a lot of ground to cover. I was worried about getting this show done in an hour and a half, let alone running 68 funny cars in some sort of timely fashion. And these guys got it done. Wasn't easy. Worked their tails off. And I give them infinite praise, tip of the cap, because I think it was remarkable that things didn't go awry. Um, and again, give some credit to Texas Motorplex, all those guys. I've gotten to know some of them as I, as I live down here and their passion, their enthusiasm, that stuff makes a difference. Like a guy that doesn't really care to be there, he's not going to sprint down the track to push a car uh, you know, off the track to keep things moving. He's not going to be busted. It's, he's there because it's a job, right? He's getting paid. Fantastic. But when you have people like the Motorplex has, by, you know, I almost said it for the most part, and I don't know all of them, but people that are genuinely passionate about this stuff that are up on the tire, that are revved up, that are flying around a million miles an hour, trying to make stuff happen, trying to make an impact, trying to improve what's going on, be the solution, not the problem makes a huge difference. So kudos to all those guys as well, but it'd be criminal to not highlight, in my opinion, and at some level, some of these individual performances that we saw my, oh my, I can't get over the Richard Hartman for a uh, first ever four second run. I, uh, I don't know if there's anything that happened in my opinion this past weekend at Funny Car Chaos that can really top that, be it Kevin Kinsley going 300 some on miles an hour, 304, whatever it was. I got it in my notes somewhere. But that, that first happening, Richard Hartman going 492 at 296. I watched a video on YouTube. I wish I could name drop the channel right now. Unfortunately, I don't have it in front of me. I'll try to throw it into the comments later today. But there was a YouTube video that captured the whole moment. It's, I know it's on dragillustrated.com. Log on to dragillustrated.com. Two or three stories from the top. Josh Hatchett, our senior editor at DI, put together this cool little couple paragraph blurb and a link to the video that's on YouTube. The, the thumbnail, the thumbnail image of the YouTube video like says it all. You see Tim Wilkerson. I wish I had a headset, but he's like, like the emotion. I watched that video like 10 times. I'm probably responsible for most of the views. So you're welcome. Whoever owns that YouTube channel, if you're monetized, I watched it a ton and I just the emotion after the fact, it, that stuff's so cool to see, man. And honestly, I've talked about this before. Um, not surprisingly, I got to throw this in there. I watched that deal. I see Tim Wilkerson do this and all the hugs and the high fives. And I got goosebumps. I mean, I did. I know I get him all the time. I do. I'm, a, I'm kind of like, a, I've got like goosebump itis. I get goosebumps a lot. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I'll probably find out later today that it's really bad news, but it was a goosebump moment. Seeing the fact that it happened like in broad daylight, under the sun, blue skies, it, it just doesn't, that's typically not a time frame, right? When we're used to seeing record setting runs, 
for the most part, you're thinking of nighttime, under the lights. That moment just seemed unique, right? And I know that I'm, I'm heaping it on Funny Car Chaos, but that was another legit drag racing moment. And that the outpouring of Richard Hartman, a little bit of like a, a, a straight shooter, somewhat, you know, not going to get super high. The, the pit interview of him just talking about how much this meant to him, that they saw an opportunity to go break a barrier, to go pe- be a part of drag racing history, to, to do something that's going to put their name in the history books forever. And then to see them go out and do it, it was just spectacular. It really was. And I know that there's a whole, you know, speaking of debates and what happens online, I know there's a whole school of thought about, you know, what what's a fuel altered and what's not a fuel altered, blah, 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 all this stuff looked like a fuel altered to me, fuel altered went 492 at 300 some miles an hour. And it was spectacular. So that whole moment, like seeing in Tim say after the fact that he felt like he just won Indy. I mean, think about that. Like most, most pro level drag racers identify like a couple of things as the top of the mountain. And I think I don't know which one's which I know which one's maybe pays better, but I think if you ask like run of the mill racer, you can win Indy, the U S nationals, the big go, the granddaddy of them all, right. You can win that or you can win a world championship, but you don't win Indy. You win the world championship, but you don't win Indy. I got to tell you, I think most people, a lot of people, maybe not all, maybe I'm foolish. I don't know. I'm going to tell you, I think a lot of people would say that they would rather win Indy. I think you want to be able to tell people because that means something no matter what you do. Like if, if you say that you won Indy to just some guy that knows nothing about motorsports or nothing about racing or drag racing specifically, they know that's significant. They know the races that happen in Indy matter, right? And to hear someone like Tim Wilkerson, as accomplished as he is, to hear him say that he felt like he won Indy when he saw that 492 pop up on the scoreboard, is that right? It's crazy. But what it does for me is awesome. In a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me, and you guys have heard me talk about not loving this, but it just reminds me how much these individual performance marks, these records, these barriers. It reminds me how much that stuff means to people, right? Because, and I get good or bad, right? The laser focus that we as a community have had on the numbers that flash up on those scoreboards after a car traverses the eighth or quarter mile or thousand foot, those numbers mean so much. I mean, there's probably been scoreboards printed on the back of t-shirts as often as race cars have been printed on the back of t-shirts, right? I mean, a guy goes out and runs his career best or sets a record. Scott Bathurst at Classic Graphics, his phone is ringing before the ink's dry on the time slip. Am I wrong? I don't think I am. I mean, Camp Stanley goes out and runs 560 or whatever with John Stanley behind the wheel of their Cadillac and Mel Ross Streetcar Super Nationals in Las Vegas sets the record for the fastest quarter mile or quickest quarter mile pass for a door car ever. First order of business, ordering t-shirts. Call Scott at Classic, right? Get some, get some shirts on the way. This stuff means so much. And I've argued in the past that I don't like that. 
but maybe tough, tough shit, Wes, right? This is, it's a part of the game. Maybe what I think it might be part of the game. And it just reminds me how much those numbers and how much those marks mean to people mean to racers, because I honestly think that 10 years from now, I don't know if everybody, will everybody remember that Kyle Smith won the A field in funny car took out Del Warsham in the final, a guy who had him covered by four or five tenths, right. Took out a former NHRA world champion driver, took him out in the final in his Brandon Pez tuned top alcohol, funny car, right. PJS racing engines powered funny car took out Del Warsham in the final. I want to believe people will be talking about it. I will be. I, I think it was a moment. I think it was significant. I'm really happy for all those guys, especially Brandon and Kendall and Pez are great people live right down the road from me. I tell you, everybody's my best friend, but I, great folks. I've known them for a hundred years, live right down the road in Weatherford, Texas. They uh, are so happy for them, but I would argue 10 years from now, maybe sooner, the things that people will remember from funny car chaos, 2021, It'll be those numbers that popped up on the scoreboard. It'll be that 492 or, well, yeah, that 492. It'll be that 304, right? Those will be the things that people remember for years and years and years. One of the greatest examples of this, more than likely, is, and it's super cool when they do, when they do both. Like when Mark Mickey went 221 at Sweet 16 and won the deal, won $101,000. Like those are those, oh my God moments, right? But still, like you look back at when Kenny Bernstein went 300 miles per hour for the first time. And I know I should know this because I've used this reference like a thousand times before. But in this moment, I'm, I'm drawing blank. But I have no idea who won the race. Right. I don't know who won that weekend. But I, I know Kenny Bernstein went 300. Right. So these moments, no matter. I get what I get frustrated with or the problem, the issue that I have, I have taken with it historically is that I think that sometimes it overshadows winners and losers, right? I believe that winners, the people who go rounds and win and that that's such a challenge. And I'm not trying to shortchange the effort and the challenge of setting a record or breaking those barriers every bit, very difficult, very unique. But I think any racer worth their salt will tell you that, man, Going rounds on race day, so hard. I don't care what class you're in. I don't care if you're racing high school, the high school class at your local drag strip. I don't care if you're in junior drag strip. I don't care if you're in top fuel or if you were in the B field at Funny Car Chaos this weekend. Winning three, four times in a row is hard. It's hard to win tic-tac-toe four times in a row, right? Let alone a competitive drag race with multi-thousand horsepower hot rods involved it's incredible and i i sometimes get a little frustrated i get a little jaded or whatever because i feel like people like to lament and like they just hang on to these records more so than anything else but i kind of get it and it actually it when this whole thing happened and i started writing up my notes for for today's show it reminded me of this this story that I, that I've told before. I don't know that I've ever told it before on here. Maybe I have, but I remember going racing with my dad. It had been like maybe in the early two thousands. Yeah. Early two thousands. We were racing. I think it was with the Ozark mountain super shifters. Shout out to the Ozark mountain super super shifters, Billy leaf, Kyle Smith and the gang. Um, all these incredible racers from the Midwest that tour around with 
no electronics, high rev and gear jam and door cars. If you want to put on a hell of a show at your racetrack, you need something for 4th of July. You need something for Memorial Day or Labor Day or some sort of big event. Maybe you're having a nostalgia weekend. Call Billy Leaf and the gang at the Ozark Mountain Super Shifters. Hell of a show. Bring a ton of cars, big burnouts, wheel stands and everything in between. And they're all manually shifted just as God intended. But I digress. I remember going, I think we were, we were in the final round. I remember my dad was right. I can't remember who he was running. Probably Billy Leaf. He won. He wins these things all the time. Uh, but I remember it vividly. My dad, we lost. He broke out, right? And historic, my dad always had fast door car stuff pretty much. And in that group, he had one of the fastest cars, the faster cars. I think at that time he had far and away the fastest car in the group. And, you know, yeah, that's what's up. My dad had the fastest one. But anyways, always had to wait, right? Always chasing people down. And he... This is, I mean, I'm sure people were doing like finish line racing and whatnot, but that was nothing that I really knew about. I mean, I knew about getting out of it or whatever, but I didn't see, we didn't have people like slamming on the brakes and some of the crazy stuff you see now, but whacking the throttle, you didn't see much of that. But I remember my dad broke out and it was bad. Like I thought, I remember standing on the starting line and looking at the scoreboard and being like, wow, like looking around like, what did we did like a bag blow through the traps? what did we do? You know, like, how did we miss it that bad? I thought like, did I not change the dial? Like anyways, all these things run through your head. So I go burning down the drag or the return road on my dad, on our Kawasaki Bayou, which man, shout out to Kawasaki Bayous. I don't know if you've ever ridden one of those. Those are great four four wheelers. I miss that thing. I had a lot of fun on that thing. I may have like become a man on a Kawasaki Bayou. I explored the world on a Kawasaki Bayou, basically, drag strips of the world, whatever. I'm burning down the return road on a red Kawasaki Bayou, right? Dragging a freaking toe strap that's throwing sparks or whatever. And I'm down in the dumps. I'm sad, right? I'm bummed out a little bit. We just lost in the final. It's Father's Day. My dad, you know, a bit of a deal. And I remember getting down to the finish line, pulling up to my dad's car, stopping, jumping off the four-wheeler. And he's coming around in the back of the car with the parachutes, throwing them. He'd get real pissy about this if I did it, but he could toss him on the deck lid. No big deal. If I do it, I scratch the paint and he's going to hit me upside the head and then cuss me the whole way home. Not like for 15 minutes, the whole way home, be it an hour or three hours or 10 hours. Scratch the deck lid of the race car, deserve to die, whatever. I get down there, dad's throwing the parachutes on the back of the car and I look at him. And I remember he's got his fire jacket open. He's wearing a world's greatest dad t-shirt, which I'm not sure who bought it for him, right? Debatable. I'm just joking. I look at him and I look at his face and he's smiling ear to ear. And I'm like, what's wrong with this guy? Like we just got crushed. We just lost in the final, man. It's going to be a long ride home. It wasn't it was like 87 miles, but he was so happy because it was the best pass the car had ever made. Right. I think it was like a 497. We were dialed like a 505 or 506 or something. Um, best pass the car, clutch car. We made some big changes. So it wasn't like a total surprise, but we normally, we didn't expect to pick up like that. So he's so excited, like beside himself. We lost, but it just reminds me still to this day that when you're so invested in something, a car that you've worked on or that you've spent all this money on or borrowed money from the bank, and you go out there and you have that moment where you accomplish what you set out to do, or you do something no one thought you could do, or you did something that no one had ever done, like in the world, in the case of Richard Hartman, Tim Wilkerson this past weekend, that 
that's a juice that's like from the fountain of life, right? That experience is so euphoric and so unique and so rewarding that despite how frustrated I can get with our sports hyper focus on the scoreboards, I get it, man. I get it. Anybody who's ever had a late night, who's ever fought that battle, who's ever endured that grind and then, and then did it, found themselves at the top of the mountain, no matter where that mountain is, because that mountain can be at your local drag strip. It can be at the motorplex. It can be at India. It can be at Pomona. It could be in Orlando, wherever that mountaintop is and where, however high it may be when you're at the top, like that moment, that feeling of success, it's intoxicating and you chase it and chase it and chase it. I remember Shannon Jenkins one time, uh, we were just talking about getting addicted to smoking, right? Nicotine. And he talked to me, he's one of my drag racing heroes. He's one of the coolest dudes that I believe have ever lived. Uh, a real living legend, the Iceman. Shannon, we were, I don't know how in the hell we even got on the subject of smoking, but he was just talking about it being a horrible habit or whatever. And he hates that he does it and whatnot. And he said, uh, from the first drag you take, you are chasing that forever. Like you're chasing that buzz forever. And I think it's very similar to like having one of those moments. Like these things are good. I've had a lot of conversations with racers is a guy like Richard Hartman after having that moment that he had, or maybe we go back 20 years ago to when my dad had that moment. Those moments, they'll keep you going for five years. I mean, you can blow up everything you've got from that moment forward for quite a while and you're going to keep going chasing that moment. That's how sweet it is. And I just think it's a really interesting and fun thing to talk about. And perhaps maybe a guy should leave. I remember like people, every time we put out an issue of drag illustrated uh, DI 66 shipping this week, get ready for the drag illustrated souvenir issue from the SeaTech world door slammer nationals presented by Jags. The cover is ridiculous. We, we I'm so stoked about it. Josh Dixon, our, our in-house kind of graphic artist that does a lot of stuff for us. It crushed it. I can't wait to share it with you next week. I believe we will do that. But anyways, every time we put out an issue of the magazine with the top eight in the back, this collection of statistics and the, the top eight speeds, the top eight ETs uh, across a variety of different drag racing eliminators compiled by the one and only Brett Kepner. People get so excited about it. Like, it's such a big deal to be in that conversation or be on a list like that, that it just, it's fantastic. And I, I'm so happy for everybody that had some success this past weekend at funny car chaos, what, what the future looks like for this particular group of people. And, uh, cause I don't think there's any, I don't really know that there's any end in sight. And I do think there's an interesting kind of side note to this whole situation. And this is, a, this is interesting to me. I just this morning, I sent a text message, and I want to remind everybody, if you don't mind, click like, click share, smash that share button, make sure people join this conversation. They're a part of it. They get to hear about all the good things that are going on in the sport of drag racing. Maybe we can bring some money into this deal. Maybe we can, maybe we can, somebody will stumble across this, this bit of content, hear us ranting and raving about funny car chaos. And the next thing you know, Chris is signing a title rights sponsorship with, with Jeep 
or uh, Nabisco, right? Let, let, let's, th- this is what it takes. We need to make sure that this content, that this type of messaging spreads around the same way it, w- it would if it was something bad, right? Or a terrible crash. We got to make sure that we, we spread the good word of drag racing because this next thing that we're going to talk about, I think is particularly interesting and perhaps eye-opening. And it's, it's important to me as a promoter myself, but as someone who just cares a lot about the sport of drag racing and where this whole deal is headed and where everyone's head's at and, and what's going on. Um, I was, I sent a text to Chris Graves this morning and I said, Hey man, not trying to be nosy or whatever, but what, what does your purse look like for funny car chaos? You know, like what did, what did the A field pay to win? I didn't know. Right. Come to find out it paid 7,500 bucks to win the A field. Right. So Kyle Smith, uh, you know, I don't know who did what split, what, who knows, but it paid 7,500 to win the A field at the funny car chaos event. And that was part of a sliver of a combined $50,000 purse across all those categories. Right. So that's nothing to sneeze at. That's nothing to bat your eyes and blow off. Right. That's a, that's a significant amount of money. In my opinion, it really is. There's not that many drag races that are going on that pay that kind of money to their winner. Um, now Grant, you've got to, you've got to table a million dollar bracket race and some of these other things that are, largely participant driven and it makes it more manageable to do stuff like that when you're charging two, $3,000 to enter. Right. But with an event like this, with a traditional kind of show style drag race, where you're bringing in a show category, you're charging a reasonable, but not a, you know, outrageous entry fee and you're by and large leaning on the spectator turnout and sponsorship to pay the purse. It's a different deal. So when you're paying seventy five hundred bucks, you're paying out fifty thousand dollars over the weekend. Those numbers are big, and it's it's hard to get back to zero, and it's even harder to get you know into the the profit range after you paid all your bills, paid all your help, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I found it especially interesting because do you have any idea how much Dell Worsham probably spent on diesel fuel to get from Chino Hills or whatever Southern California? to Ennis, Texas is a lot. I mean, it's a lot, right? But, but it goes back to people doing this for all the right reasons, right? Now, I don't want to, um, I mean, did Chris have to put up a half million dollars to get that many cars on the property? Was it, were all these people coming because it was 50,000 to win or 100,000 to win or 250,000 to win? No, I, I bet the purse could have been way less and he'd have had that kind of buy-in. He'd have had that kind of enthusiasm. Sure, it helps, but it, the money is not the only part of this whole recipe, right? These successful events, it's kind of a harmonious thing. There's all these different pieces of it. You can't just go all on one thing. You can't just pay a bunch of money, but have the track horrible, the organization horrible, no promotion. You can't do that, right? You may be able to get away with it once, but you will not be able to see. That's not a functional or an approach that's going to stand the test of time. Just won't. We've seen it happen innumerable times in the sport of drag racing. And again, I don't want to make light of the fact that it was 7,500 to win, but I just think it's an awesome reminder for all of us that these events and their success or failure or whatever is not entirely dependent on how much it pays to win. I think that's fantastic news. And I think everybody in our community should maybe uh, sue on that a little bit. 
right? Think about the things that you can do. And I think this applies to maybe every walk of life. Like whether you're a small business owner, whether you're a race team owner, whether you're an event promoter, no matter where you fit into this jigsaw jigsaw puzzle that is drag racing, I think you can apply that, right? Finding ways to add value. How can you make this an experience? How people want experiences in 2021. In this day and age, man, you have restaurants out there right now that are literally focusing like their efforts tonight on how they can make their restaurant more Instagrammable. That's a thing. Being like Instagram friendly, right? People want experience. They want to be able to capture, try to find a way to capture that moment. So how can you add value? Like at, like that restaurant, it's not enough to just have great food and great plating and a world-class chef and good service. Now you've got to have a cool place in your store that people can photograph, right? A, a dope backlit sign that you can take photos in front of or whatever. You got to do all these things and it's hard and you got to start somewhere. And I'm not saying that you got to do them all at once. You certainly don't. But I do think that this is something that we should all reflect on a little bit, that one of the most significant, and I granted it's just now the first of April or whatever, but one of the most significant races that have happened this year, and I would argue in the last several years, didn't pay a million to win, right? It, it didn't pay 50,000 to win, right? It didn't. And it happened this past weekend. So there's, there's some lessons here. There's some digging that everybody needs to do. And it reminds me of another story um, that I want to share with you guys. And it, it takes me back to the starting line in Orlando, actually, that, at the SeaTech World Door Slammer Nationals presented by Jags, the Door Slammer Nets. I'm standing on the starting line with a buddy of mine who happens to be, I, again, a buddy of mine, my best friend ever. No, he, uh, but a real friend, a friend that I've had for a long time, someone I've known and, and kind of came up through the industry with and known him for a long time. And now he serves as a crew chief on one of the highest level pro mod teams in the country. And we were standing on the starting line and we were taking in, I think it was qualifying for our import invitational, right? We had a couple of classes. Um, we had a couple of classes for our imports, we had the uh, modified import, right? Which is kind of like the import sport compacts version of pro stock, right? Shorter wheelbase, kind of like stock body styles. Um, and I mean, they've got these radical engines in them and stuff, but they kind of run in that wheelhouse, like mid sixes or whatever. Then they have another category that I absolutely love. That's full of a lot of rotary powered race cars, but it's called old school import, right? So we brought in about 20 of these cars total, 10 modified sport compacts um, and 10 of the old school imports, right? We bring these cars out and my buddy and I were standing on the starting line and we're taking in, I think it was like their final qualifying session, right? And this group of people, excuse me, I've got to uh, plug in my, my notebook, my notebook's digital. Oh my God. Ugh, electronics. Right. But anyways, we're standing on the starting line. We're taking in final round of qualifying. Right. And these cars are doing burnouts, backing up doors are open. There's like 700 people on the crew of every car without fail. Um, they're, they're doing passes. They're in and out of the, the throttle, they're guardrail to guardrail all over the place. And like, no matter what happens out there on the racetrack, 
they're losing their minds. The crowd, the fans are going nuts. The crew on the starting lines jumping up and down. And I'm like trying to figure out what they're, what exactly they're celebrating. Like I saw a, one of our old school imports get their, their driver's side door completely folded forward in the staging lanes. You hate when you see stuff like this happen. God, it breaks my heart. I saw, I saw it from afar, almost puke. This car gets like the door folded all the way to the freaking front fender flat. And I'm going, like, going back to racing with my old man, somebody would die if that happened to my dad, right? I mean, there would have been, blood would have been spilt, right? I mean, it would have been horrible had that happened. But all these, um, they're, by and large, a bunch of the, these folks travel from Puerto Rico, right? Um, so they're like, literally they all fly in to help one another. There's some guys from like the pro line team that are over there helping them get this because the driver's in the car and they're folding the freaking door back around, beating it shut so they can go make the final qualifying run. So anyways, I'm back on the starting line, right? This has happened moments ago, minutes ago, right? They come up and I mean, they're, the car's in the water box and they're still trying to make sure this door shut, Right. So they rev this thing up to like 30,000 RPM, do a burnout, back up, send it down through there, makes a good run. I have no idea what it run, whatever. They lose their mind. I mean, air horns, freaking um, clapping, cheering, crying, jumping up and down. People are waving flags. I mean, it was literally as if we they had just won a war. It, 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 it was uh, soccer level enthusiasm, right? And I'm going... This is so cool. Like the energy, that energy and enthusiasm, as I've talked before, that stuff's infectious, right? Like if they're feeling good and they're wound up, it's hard not to feel the same way. I mean, it's hard not to get up on the tire. So my buddy, the crew chief, he looks over at me and this is a guy that has, you know, been a touring pro for a hot minute, right? He's been doing this for a while. He's done the NHRA tour. He's done PDRA tour. He's done a lot, accomplished a lot. He looks over at me and he goes, man, how do we get that? How do we, like, why aren't we like that? And when he says we, he was talking about like, kind of like, it, being that we were at the World Door Slammer Nationals, he was kind of talking about like just pro mod and pro stock racers in general. Like, how do you, how do you get that level of enthusiasm? Like, he looks at me, he's like, what's the deal? What's the difference? And I stand by this. And this is truly what I said. I looked at him. And I said, dude, we're spoiled. That, I mean, that's the difference. Like, what's the difference? We're spoiled. Badly, badly spoiled. Um, like, and I'm focusing these comments, and don't get me wrong. There's plenty of places across the drag racing landscape where maybe people aren't getting their due. They're not getting treated the way they should. I recognize that. But when I say this and when I talk about being spoiled, I'm really looking at PDRA pro nitrous pro boost, right? Extreme pro stock, um, pro stock and pro mod racers of varying degrees, right? Of, of all, for, for the most part, all of them, uh, people that race in classes with the NMCA, right. Um, with the NMRA, the Midwest pro mod series. Um, I'm trying to think of Northeast outlaw pro mod. There's a lot of great series and sanctions and I'm obviously leaving people out. Um, but this is a group of racers and I'm one, I mean, I'm part of that community, right? So I'm, I'm talking about myself. I recognize this. 
we're spoiled. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, right? Because if you compare and contrast like the energy, enthusiasm, overall outlook, et cetera, of that group of import racers that I was just describing and the way they're treated and the things that they experience, and you compare that to like what a typical PDRA pro boost racer might experience on any given weekend or a, um, a Midwest drag racing series racer might experience on any given weekend or what, um, what a, a radio versus the world racer would experience this weekend um, at, uh, at the sweet 16 when they're walking into a tent full of food that's been homemade and provided to them at no cost. That's a group of people that I really believe in a group of racers. And obviously I understand there's always going to be exceptions to this, but I'd argue that it's, we're spoiled. It's a group of people that have been spoiled. And I think in a lot of ways, they, maybe we've forgotten where this type of racing came from. Like as an example, let's talk about, this is a great example because it's newsworthy. It's timely radio versus the world drag radial racing at one point in time was a joke, right? I mean, guys like big daddy Dwayne Guttridge were looked at like fools for taking the slicks off their car and putting radials on, right? If you went to the world street nationals in Orlando, Florida, like in the early two thousands or whatever, and you were racing drag radial, you were amongst 80 other guys parked in the grass, right? Run you if we can get to you type of deal. And that's not, exactly true, but you get my drift, right? This, that was a class of racing that historically had served as filler for other classes, right? Look at the situation that exists now. Radial versus the world, Pro 275, X275, those are categories, the eliminators that carry the show at a lot of events around the country. Right. I mean, they were marquee part, you know, radio wars was a marquee part of the NMCA, right? RVW is the show at lights out. It is the show at sweet 16. It is the show at Tyler cross, no street car reunion, right? In many ways, it's the show at the shakedown nationals out at Virginia motorsports park, right? It it's a focal point at this point in time. How, are we so crazy? Are we so far gone that we have forgotten how, how far we've come? And that's just a very small example, right? Promo, another example. This is based rooted in sportsman racing, friends. It was the top eight qualifiers from top sportsmen, a sportsman category. They ran Promo on Friday night. It was a shootout, right? So to think of where we are now, racing for crazy money, 100,000 when we were doing our World Series of Pro Mod out at Vandermeer Speedway, 50,000 a couple of weeks ago at the uh, World Door Slammer Nationals. Think about pro stock guys racing for $75,000. I mean, they're about to travel the country, going to 18 or 20 races or whatever with the NHRA to win a fraction of that, a sliver of that. They got to get there on Wednesday or Thursday and set up. I mean, have we forgotten? Have we? Have, have we lost sight? of where all this has come from. I mean, maybe we need to go to a funny car chaos. Maybe we need to go to an import race, right? Where you've got some guys that haven't had a home, right? Or haven't had a place to race or haven't had people fighting on their behalf. Because there's another interesting thing that I think is a show for another day. But when I see these things pop up and get some momentum, there's typically someone driving the bus, right? So, 
I point to Chris Graves as this charismatic individual that is waving the funny car flag right now. I look at John Sears, this charismatic individual that's waving the flag for 275 series radial tire racing and a plethora of other small tire categories. I look at Donald Long, somebody who's waving the flag for radial racing as a whole, right? Driving the bus on that. I would like to lump myself into that category. Somebody who's super passionate about pro modified style drag racing, pro stock style drag racing, that's trying to move that particular category forward. I look at what Tyler Crossno, Tommy and Judy Franklin are doing with the PDRA and what they've done to move eighth mile racing, outlaw eighth mile racing to the level that it's at right now with the payouts, a million dollar tour, these huge events that they put on. The competition level is absolutely absurd. What that is that exists in the PDRA. I think about all these things that have happened, and I just wonder, man, maybe all maybe every person that I just described, maybe they should go racing with an import team for the weekend, right? Maybe they should experience what some of my import guys experienced in Orlando because I'll be forthright with you guys, they were filler, right? I knew that they were filler. I think they know that they're filler. I, I have a show. I have pro stock and promo. I have a show. I wanted to include those guys because I thought there was some crossover fan um, interaction engagement that could happen. And I thought it would be good for the vibe of the event. I feel I was right. Right. Cause I've a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from fans, racers, sponsors, et cetera, was like, man, bring those import guys back. They're tons of fun. Great, great people to be around, great cars to watch tons of excitement and enthusiasm and everybody kind of gets in on it. So, but I would be lying if I told you that they weren't, they were, they were not the focus of my energy. They were not, right? So you've got guys that by and large, those import racers that came to Orlando, these are people that shipped their cars across oceans, across oceans and paid to do it, right? It's not like I called them up and said, hey, get 10 of your friends together. I'm going to charter a plane. I mean, I'm not Alanabi, right? I'm not Bahrain one. I'm not some big, I'm not uh, in a position yet to, to do something like that. You know, I didn't call them up and say, hey, I've got a jet that's coming to Puerto Rico and I need you guys to get all your cars crated up and I'm going to ship them over here and we're going to have you a drag race. No, these are people that had to spend their own money to and, and handle the logistics on their own to get these cars into America, get their people into America during a global pandemic, mind you. Right. And come support this race. And they did so with smiles on their faces. I mean, You've got guys that are buying, they're paying to get in, right? They're paying to race. They're buying VIP passes for their crew, dozens of them, right? Because they want them to be able to go wherever they go, right? They're bringing tents, cooking food, camping for the weekend. It's incredible. Well, knowing that it's a super top heavy deal. It's like winner take all, right? Um, They're kind of getting wedged into an already existing show. So I, you know, they don't know when they're going to run. They don't know if they're going to run. They don't, I mean, though, every one of those racers went to the world door slammer nationals. Well, knowing that like their session could get canceled or whatever. Right. I mean, we would have never let that happen, but I'm just saying that they went there with very, very, very little expectation. There's a great book. Um, it's a title that I can't say out loud, but there's a, there's a great book that whatever, but there's a line in the book that reads, um, expect nothing. It's like a key to happiness or something is what I think they phrase it or frame it as expect nothing, accept everything. Right. It's interesting. And I think that that's kind of what these import guys are doing. 
they go to these events and they expect nothing. They expect to kind of get, you know, the runaround. They don't know for sure their schedule. They expect it, right? That that's the way it works for them. And I'll tell you my response and the, 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 what's the word? Interactions, my interactions with all these import racers was so positive, not a single complaint, nothing but thank yous. And please let us come back. Can we please do this again? They were so excited just to be included, right? And I think about some of the things that happen and some of the things that, that, you know, get talked about or whatever. And it's like, guys, really? Are you, really? Like we're racing for 50 grand in front of packed grandstands streaming live on the internet. Like it's not raining. Like this, what's our problem? I mean, we should be shooting. We should be, we should all have air horns. Like, I almost think that I want to buy like a million air horns and give them to every drag racer and challenge them to use that thing every weekend. Like, this is exciting stuff, guys. We're blessed to get to do it. And I think sometimes you just need to take a step back and realize that drag racing is something that we get to do. There, Of course, there are those of us that work in the industry, right, that, are, that have managed to find a way to, to, to earn a living doing it. But even those people, I would argue are blessed to get to do it. I know I am blessed to get to do it. And I think about those import racers, guys hugging me, wives kissing me on the cheek, um, race getting emotional, right? I, there was a gentleman there that's kind of known as like the, the kind of like godfather of that scene. I'm drawing blank on his name right now. I've got his card on my desk downstairs, but nonetheless, he, I gave him a polo and a hat that had the Door Slammer Nats logo on it. You'd have thought I gave this guy my firstborn. He got teary-eyed, hugged me, um, shook my hand, and um, the two-hand handshake. That really hit me, you know? Like, and thank God for feedback like that, right? Because this stuff's not always easy to, to pull off. And when you have someone like that that is so gracious and so appreciative and it didn't go home with a big check, didn't get a happy Gilmore check, didn't get a stack of cash or whatever, just got to go and got to be a part of it. And when you get that kind of feedback from those people, I'm telling you guys, again, that's that feeling of success that I talk about. It's that feeling of, all right, it was worth it, right? The juice is worth the squeeze. And I think sometimes that as a group, and I, I kind of leave you with this today, We've, we've got a little bit of time left and I'd love to do a little bit of Q&A. There's a lot of hot topics in the sport of drag racing right now. But I wonder, should we not all be practicing a little bit more gratitude, a little more appreciation for what, in my opinion, kind of feels like a cornucopia of incredible things that are going on in drag racing? I mean, I think it could be argued that there's like more good option. Like racers have too many good options right now. There's tons of great options. There are different categories of drag racing that probably have too many places to race. Right. And they're all, they're all viable. They're, they're all good. They're all worthwhile. They're all doing a good job. And again, I want to 
I want to lump on to this conversation that I'm not saying all tracks, all promoters, all series, all sanctions, everybody is without fault. Absolutely not. They're human, right? They're, they're going to screw up. They're going to mess up. I'm sure there's racetracks messing up right now. People making bad decisions. This things happen, right? But think about this. Mylon Dragway posted on Facebook yesterday, posted on Facebook that they're not going to open this year. This is Milan Dragway that I believe was, has been a thriving motorsports facility in our industry. This is uh, in Michigan where they have tons of great events, really strong, like street strip culture there, tons of grudge racing events that have taken place there over the years. Um, a Thursday night shootout series, the uh, Heads Up Door Slammer series that was very significant for a long period of time. A, a successful venue, right, in drag racing. They posted on Facebook yesterday, guys, that they're not going to open in 2021. And I would, I think the future's a little bit cloudy. I don't know. That's always something you have to wonder, right? Especially during COVID and all these things that have gone on. When you see a restaurant close or a, a business close or a racetrack close in this instance, you can't help but wonder, will they ever open back up? You want to believe they will. Things will change. Times will change. The world will settle down, whatever. Someone will buy it. You want to believe that they'll reopen. But I, but I do ask you guys to think about that. Milan's not going to open this year. It's a whole bunch of racers that, that don't have a place to race anymore. Remember, Norwalk didn't open last year. This is arguably the most successful best run racing facility in the history of the universe. In many ways, Bill Bader Jr., his father, Bill Bader, their, uh, Bill's son, Bill Jr.'s son, Evan, that entire group in many ways set the standard for how drag strips are run, how events are run, how facilities are maintained, how racers are cared for, how events are promoted. They didn't open last year. This is a track that has a, a naming rights sponsor, right? It's not Norwalk Raceway. It's Summit Motorsports Park, right? This is, it's the picture of success. Their local racers faced a reality in 2020 that their home track wasn't going to open, right? People like me who have made summers or kind of made landmark moments on my calendar out of going to Sandusky every summer, staying at the Kalahari, that didn't happen last year, right? And everybody, I think, wanted to believe that without question, Norwalk, you know, it would reopen. But remember, these places do close. And there's no guarantee. Even the biggest tracks may not be able to make it make sense, right? So when you think about that and you roll into the next racetrack that you go to, like, how dare any of us complain about anything right now? How dare any of us complain about payouts or track prep or schedule? I mean, next time you think about getting online to land based some promoter because they're not prepping the track well enough or the entry fees too high or they got behind on the schedule, um, they had to make a tough decision, uh, whatever. And I, and I understand that those things can sting. Sometimes they're done wrong. Um, sometimes they shouldn't have been done. But just remember... Milan isn't opening this year. Milan Dragway is not going to open. And I hate it, but it probably won't be the only track that decides to close its doors this year, right? So 
while we're blessed to be, to, again, we're blessed to operate in an industry where growth is happening, right? Cars are being built. Businesses are busy. New tracks are opening. Matter of fact, there's a brand new track just down the road. And um, I don't know if you say Cato or Cato. I think Cato Mills, Texas on I-30 I Dragway. Brand new racetrack opening up. I mean, it was, it was already an existing racetrack, but it had been closed for a while, right? Reopening. Great news. Fantastic news. Think about that, man. I mean, we've, we're living in a time right now where there's like a big money super stock, stock super stock comp eliminator race this weekend in St. Louis, right? We've got Donald Long putting on these crazy big mo- events with uh, big money, big trophies. Um, you've got custom hats, custom jackets. You've got the NMCA, NMRA touring around the country with destination style events that welcome racers from the, the highest level of, you know, NMCA Extreme Pro Mod comes to mind, the Jason Hamstras of the world, right? Screw blown door cars that go mid threes, insane, all the way to True Street, right? And, and classes that are having to make three passes and cruise around for a half hour or whatever before they enter competition. We've got places like the NMRA, NMCA doing stuff like that. We've got um, the Northeast Outlaw Pro Mod Association. We've got LS Fest this, LS Fest that. We've got uh, the Shakedown Nationals, the Outlaw Streetcar Reunion, two monumental, very big independent productions going on at Virginia Motorsports Park. We got the NHRA doing their thing, right? Selling out Gainesville, likely to sell out Vegas, putting on these huge events, putting drag racing on freaking network Fox. I almost said a bad word. Putting drag racing on network Fox, putting drag racing. You got NHRA over here putting drag racing in front of 2 million people, right? simultaneously, not over the course of like 37 years, but like at one time, two million people are watching the final round of funny car, right? That stuff's happening right now, not in 1967, right? Not in 75, not in 90 right now. So I wonder, I just, I mean, listen to me. I hear more crap. Think about this right now. I I just left a good one out. You got the Midwest Drag Racing Series putting on events that are going to be broadcast on television. There's a full-size semi parking in the pits to do production at what is a self-described regional series, Midwest Drag Racing Series, right? You've got all these events that I just talked about streaming live on Flow Racing, uh, a a streaming service that, that boasts tens of thousands of members, right? Paying to watch drag racing. You've got these events streaming live on bangshift.com. You've got them streaming live on Motormania TV. Like, so all this drag races are happening on the internet. Like we can watch them. There's drag racing video games right now. Um, I think about the facilities and the money that's being spent on equipment right now. Like, can you even buy a rotator? I mean, I bet those things are sold out, right? I mean, every big track in the country that puts on big races is buying a rotator so they can pr- provide their racers with world-class racing facility or a racing surface, excuse me, these killer sprayers, the, the, gol- the four-wheelers with the push bar on the front of them. Like that stuff's not free. I hear the phrase, the term laser ground way too much. Like it's crazy. I mean, I hear that and I'm like, okay, wait, what? They came in and laser ground the racetrack? Like that's, can you believe that's happening? Can you? I think it's crazy. I mean, I remember going, I don't want to throw any tracks under the bus. So I remember going racing, like a great example, Ozark Mountain Super Shifters get booked into some track in the Midwest. We show up. I remember grass growing up through the asphalt, 
I remember walking the track because I did stuff like that, walking the track, getting down around a thousand foot at this racetrack and there's grass growing up through this thing. Right. But that's just what it was. That's where we were. It's where we were racing. Like they paid us to come. We're going to run. Like they paid us to come put on a show. We're going to come put on a show. We're happy to be there. We knew what we signed up for. Right. And I think about, I mean, I remember driving miles down gravel roads to get to a racetrack, unloading all of our stuff and it being so dirty that we just as soon burn the shit, right? Like, oh my God, like it's going to take us the rest of the summer to get this stuff cleaned back up. There's dirt in every cabinet, every drawer of those list of cabinets, everything is covered in dust, but it's what it was. We're happy to be there. Stoked. Can't wait. We're going to do it again and again and again and again for years. And I wish sometimes as a sport, as a community, as a, as a group, we just quit fighting it. Quit pretending you don't love it. Quit pretending you're pissed. You're not. We're blessed that we get to do this. All of us. We're blessed to live in America. We're blessed to be above ground today. Right. And we're sure as hell blessed to get to go to the drag strip this weekend. And I think about like, and I want to say this again, because I think that I don't want to be so heavy to the fact that like, no, I never, ever, you're never going to hear me say that a racetrack can do no wrong, that a promoter can do no wrong, um, that an event can do no wrong. Um, That's not at all what I'm saying here. There's plenty of black eyes and bad bad dealings and things that have happened over the years. No question. And there's probably going to, there's going to, one's going to happen this weekend. A hundred might happen. They happen all the time. But keep in mind that very few of the people that are providing this service or this facility to us, putting on these events, um, raising the money to do them, whatever, keeping a facility running to, to host these events. Very few of them are making a mint. Don't get me wrong. There are those that are making money and God bless them. We need more of that. We need way more of that, right? Because it'll solve some of those problems. But it's not like, it's just a bit of a thankless job, right? And I would encourage you to keep that in, in mind. And I, overall, I think our community would be well served by practicing some sort of gratitude for all the incredible options that exist for racers today. And it's funny because this conversation could extend far beyond like tracks and whatnot. It could extend to the safety of these cars. I mean, does anybody remember that crash a couple of weeks ago between Brandon Pezd and Dustin Nelsoni, right? That, that could have been fatal. I mean, the things that we should be thankful for, the things that exist. I mean, I think about these transmission coolers. Um, I think about stacker trailers. Um, uh, just air conditioned trailers, trailers with lounges and bathrooms. Some of these rigs I see at racetracks are just awe inspiring. And I think about all this stuff that all these things, holy crap, man, it's pretty spectacular, right? When I take an uninitiated person to a drag race, I took my chiropractor to the NHRA national event at the Motorplex last October. And he knew about drag racing, but he wasn't like tuned in. He like knew who John Force was, knew who Erica Enders was. Um, I'm trying to think of who else he name dropped. There wasn't many. He, he knew a couple people. Uh, 
I took him out to the racetrack and he was overwhelmed, not by what happened on the racetrack. He kind of expected that. What he didn't expect was just the kind of display of wealth that was going on in the pits. And I'm not talking about the pro pits. I'm talking about from the midway to the chain link fence back in the gravel, right? There's motorhomes and stacker trailers everywhere. May as well have been tree leaves, right? They're everywhere, right? And he couldn't believe it. Like, man, I guess I just thought there'd be like a lot of like dually pickups and open trailers. I'm like, well, that, that certainly exists in our world, but holy crap. And I'll, you know, kind of closing notes here, man. I read a thing once about John Paul DeJoria, you know, um, NHRA funny car ace, Alexis DeJoria's father, John billionaire owned Patron owned house of blues owned Paul Mitchell hair care products. I think still does. Um, this is a guy that at one point in time was living in a car was homeless, went from homeless to a level of wealth that he could probably like set up shop on the moon if he so chose. Right. He's got more money than he could probably ever spend. Right. Anyways, he said that he likes to start every day. This is interesting. This isn't some fruit loop. This isn't some guy that's never accomplished anything. This is a guy who's accomplished everything. He says that he likes to open his eyes in the morning while laying in bed, open his eyes and spend a few minutes just being thankful for life. Deep, eh? I know it's deep and I'm not trying to go too deep, but I do think it's pretty spectacular. And the proof's clearly in the pudding. Like it's obviously worked for him to approach life with that level of gratitude, with that, with that gracious nature. Right. And if we're talking drag racing, like think about, this is a guy that could buy and sell the sport of drag racing. This is a guy that could afford to race at any level. He wanted hire the best people, hire the best, buy the best equipment. He can do whatever he wants. Right. So I don't think we should, we're crazy to listen to him or to learn from him. And I guess what I'm saying is maybe what if when you get to the racetrack this weekend, what if when you get to the racetrack this weekend, it's just a thought. Maybe you get there Friday, like you get there Friday morning, qualifying Friday night. No, no, no. What if you get there like on Thursday, which this happens a lot, setup day. You get there on Thursday, you're parking, whatever, the rig's set up, but we're not really going to race or run anything till tomorrow. Maybe a little bit of testing, but nothing official till tomorrow. What if first thing you like go down to the top end of the racetrack? And I like to tell people to do this anyways, especially if you're racing at a facility for the first time. Um, or a facility you've never raced at before, I always encourage racers to go check out the top end. Look around for where they've got fire extinguishers. Look around where they're going to park the ambulance. Look where the return road is. Look to see if there's any big bumps. Look to see if your chutes are going to catch on anything. I I always encourage racers to do that. I think it's just a great way to start your weekend. Um, But what if during that process, you go down to the top end and you spend five minutes being thankful to go drag racing? being thankful for the financial wherewithal to do this at any level. Cause I cannot, I am yet to identify a level of drag racing that's super cheap. Right. So no matter what you're doing, what level of racing you're doing, I think you'd be wise to go down there and, and be thankful for the, the Srilla, the bread that it took to get there. Maybe be thankful for the people that came with you, the dude who helped you drive, the dude who helped you put your awning up, right? The guy who's helping you get your car up on projects or whatever, your, your kids, your family, your wife who made ham and cheese sandwiches and packed a cooler full of Diet Coke for you, right? What if you took a second and were super thankful for them 
and grateful for that support system that exists around your race team? And then what if you took it a step further and you were thankful that the sport exists, right? Um, what if you're thankful for the track and just the effort that's being put into making it safe for you and fast for you, right? What if you took a second and you were grateful for the promoters um, and the people who put the money up, right? The people who organized the event, who brought all these people together, right? You thought about that for a few minutes. Um, I'm trying to think, what if you were thankful that the sun was shining? Because it could be raining. It really sucked to have driven all that way and dealt with some asshole promoter that charged you too much to get in and doesn't pay enough in first round. If you had to do all that and deal with all that in the rain, like, thank God it's sunny, right? Like, thank God for that. What if you think about your sponsors? I know a lot of you have sponsors. You have local businesses, big business, manufacturers that support your, your racing endeavors. What if you take a minute and you're thankful for them? I don't know what would happen, but I think it'd be good. I don't think anything bad would come from it. I really, really don't. At the bare minimum, I think you'd have a great day and a great weekend at the drag strip. And let's talk a little bit of Q&A. What do you got for me? I'll give you five minutes of Q&A. Um, anything that you guys want to talk, talk about. Um, and uh, I'll answer any questions you got. Let's do five minutes of Q&A. Uh, I know we kind of got deep there a little bit. I appreciate you guys playing along with me, uh, letting me go on these big tirades. Uh, it means a lot to me. I appreciate and I'm grateful for the opportunity to get to do it and share my passion for drag racing with all of y'all. And it, it means the world to me. So what do you got, Sam Smith? You got a question. I had a couple. Flo could do better. What else? ADRL. Hey, Wes, what's going on? Matt Plotkin. Yeah, man. Sorry I missed you as well. Feel the Door Slammer event was awesome. The big show and a small venue was a winner. Thanks, Wes. I'll be there again next year. Thank you, man. Um, I appreciate it at a ton. Um, I, yeah. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to next year, too. I'm a big believer. Bobby Bennett did a cool story on um, competitionplus.com talking about big church or excuse me, big wedding, small church that I believe in that, that still to this day, I remember for several years, our party that we put on at Orlando, um, the party we put on in Orlando or not in Orlando, damn it, Indianapolis starting at PRI. I think it's like five, six years ago. I remember the first year was crazy. It was packed and it was like maybe dangerous. I'm going to say dangerous. It, it, it trended towards dangerous. Um, I was elbow to elbow in that place. And I remember for like the whole next year, every conversation I had with people about the party was like, man, you got to get a bigger place. Got to get a bigger place. Nope. Can't get a bigger place. Because if we ain't packed in this place, it ain't going to be the same. Like if you're not getting your drinks spilt all over your black hoodie, because that's what everybody wears, right? It's a, it's drag racers. Um, we have an internal joke here at Drag Illustrated. I can't wait till the PRI party this year. I literally cannot wait till we get to Indianapolis. Thursday night, we're going to burn downtown Indy to the freaking ground. I cannot wait. And that new PDRA urban camo hoodie, that'll be all we see. I swear to God that that new hoodie from Classic Graphics, I'm sure it'll be on sale at Galat in a couple of weeks at the PDRA season opener. I venture to say the PRI party, everyone will be wearing a, a PDRA gray, you know, urban camo hoodie. But anyways, 
you can't take that event and put it in some big venue. I can't move it to a convention hall. It loses everything. It loses all the feel and all those experiences and waiting in line for the bathroom or whatever. And I know some of those things are negative. I get it. But like part of that whole experience is not being able to get in, waiting in line. Like it's, it needs all those things. It's not the same without them. And you hate some of it. You don't want that to be the case, but it's like a great, I tell my kids, my kids are impatient. They're much like their mother. I'm blessed to have all three of them. Don't get me wrong, but my wife has negative patience, right? And I'm bad because I have way too much patience. Like I have my moments, but I am, I'm super patient and I let a lot of stuff slide and I, I don't make big deals about stuff. And one of those things that I just don't get bent about is waits at restaurants. Like if I go into a restaurant and there's a 20, 30 minute wait, I'm cool. Whatever place is probably good. It's a, I, I teach my kids that a wait means this place rocks. Like if we walk in and the place is empty and we can have, you know, run of the place, we can sit wherever we want. That's typically not a good sign. I want to go to a restaurant that's busting at the seams. I do. I like that action. I, don't get me wrong. I don't want to wait for a table for like two hours. You should make a reservation. But if I roll up at some Mexican restaurant, I'm a big Mexican fan. I love Mexican food. Or if I roll up at a hotspot pizza place or a hopping new steakhouse or whatever, I got no problem whatsoever waiting in line a little while because it means that it's a great place, you know, and you need some of that. Like if I'm a restauranteur or whatever, I open up a restaurant, man, I think the ultimate badge of honor is a line of people out that front door. Right. I just think of like restaurant impossible on food network when all those people are lined up, like that's the ultimate achievement. If people are lined up to come to your, whatever, that is such a feeling of accomplishment. So anyways, I, uh, I'm a big believer. I kind of got on that tirade just talking about Eduardo's comment that he was coming back to Orlando next year. Um, Big wedding, small church, brother. Um, Brandon Snyder, thank you for everything you do for dude. Thank you. Brandon Snyder is one of these real deal guys, man. I've known Brandon actually for a really, really long time. And I've seen Brandon fight the good fight. I've seen Brandon do so many things and come so far I was so proud of him, to be honest, when he was running 340s and setting records in Pro Extreme. I'll never forget that run in Tulsa. And this is a guy that was like running the this stuff on the ragged edge, not because he could afford to do it necessarily, but because he knew he had to, because he knew he had to win to make the mark that he wanted to make, to, to build the brand, his personal brand, to build the name he wanted to build. He had to win, Right. So he was putting blower belts on that screw blower after every run. This guy was running the rods out of that Hemi. And to see him then make the jump to NHRA Pro Mod quarter mile competition and and fight, right? Tooth and nail to stay out there, stay competitive, find himself in situations where he's kind of doing like R&D for other teams, not necessarily a self-serving endeavor. And then now to be out there in 2020 fighting for a world championship against Stevie fast Jackson and literally having that championship come down to the semifinal round of the last race of the year to see him make that jump. It literally, I've got legit goosebumps. I'm not lying. Um, I love these folks and I'm super proud of Brandon and that whole crew, real good guys work on stuff, do it themselves, drive the truck, put out the awning, just guys that anybody can relate to, man. And to see them having the success that they're having, Brandon, we appreciate you, brother. 
We appreciate you a whole lot. Thanks for your support. Thanks for coming out and being a part of the, the C-Tech World Door Slammer Nationals. You've supported me um, for a long time and it means a lot to me. I'll never, ever forget it in my life, um, ever. He usually doesn't have to entertain hungry children with him. Yes, wifey, I totally understand that you kind of get the, you get to do that part of this whole thing. Uh, my wife and I have this funny joke. Um, fences and meadows. She's a fence. I'm the meadow when it comes to the kids, right? She corrals them. I let them run. It's okay. Um, boom, 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 boom. Let me see what else. Could not Mike Personette. Man, when I saw Mike Personette in the staging lanes in Orlando, it, I'm going to get all goosebumpy again. I mean, just great people. I feel so blessed to operate in this industry. Uh, father of Brad Personette, for those of you that don't know, if you couldn't tell by his profile photo with the six foot flame of his son's legendary uh, RJ race cars built 68 Camaro that uh, had a clutch and a twin turbo engine in it. Um, had tons of success with that car really, in my opinion, in a lot of ways, pretty much put turbo pro mod cars on the map. Um, we put Brad Personette, we identified Brad as one of the hardest workers in drag racing and a feature Mike Carpenter, my uh, partner in crime at drag illustrated in our, um, I think we call him the COO chief operating officer right now. Um, but Mike, we did this story way back when on the hardest workers in drag racing and we identified Brad Personette as one of them and put him on the cover of the magazine. And I actually went, to Jason Sharp and I, longtime photographer of Drag Illustrated, um, who now lives overseas in Doha, Qatar, Bubba Smooth, as he was known by his alias. Him and I we drove from Chicago. We went to Schaumburg, Illinois for the World Drag Expo. We hopped in his Dodge Magnum, loaded up all of his photo gear, and drove to Indiana to Mike Personette's house, where we met uh, Brad and Mike. Brad's Camaro was in their family garage. Um, crazy story. Spent the evening taking photos or whatever, went to dinner with uh, Mike and Brad and had a great time. And, and I feel they've been uh, part of my racing family ever since. Great human beings. And it was so good to see you, Mike. Gary Wheeler. Gary Wheeler Jr. Why do you think Funny Car Chaos gets 68 plus cars and NHRA can't get full fields? I'm going to be honest, brother. I honestly think that... Um, it's just kind of like comparing apples and oranges, if, if you know what I'm saying. Um, first, if you look at that plethora of cars that showed up in Dallas this past weekend, there's a real while. I mean, you've got legit big show cars like Del Warsham stuff running 320s at 270 um, in the eighth mile. Then you've got like top flight alcohol funny cars. You got like middle pack alcohol funny cars. You got some nostalgia nitro funny cars. So I don't like... It felt like a battle royale or a Royal Rumble. Like, do you remember WWE Royal Rumbles? It's not just heavyweights, right? It's the Lucha Libradors and some girls and the really tall guys and um, the more athletic. Like, it's everybody jumps in the ring and fights, um, wrestles. I kind of, that's how I saw the Funny Car Chaos event. It wasn't really like super defined which is another thing that I'm just so blown away by because I don't think I could ever get away with that with a pro mod race. Like if I just said, Hey, pro mods of all shapes and sizes come down to Dallas next week and we're going to race for 7,500 bucks. It, it wouldn't work, unfortunately. Right. Maybe it would, I don't know. But my point is just that that's a real rare thing, Gary. I mean, it's a good question. Um, the re 
it's a different the level, the way you've got to run one of those cars. Like you could probably ask Del Warsham and I'm sure he would tell you they can go run 320 in the eighth mile at 270 and fresh, you know, go through it and run it again. Right. To go run at the front, like run against a Steve Torrance or run against a Robert Height, that shit's junk after every pass for the most part. Like they're destroying stuff on almost every trip. And they're, they're just so different, dramatic, like a mile, miles and miles and miles apart, miles apart. Um, what the solution for, you know, car count when it comes to nitro racing, that is a whole, that's like a six podcast series um, on its own. But I do think it's a great question. Uh, I think events like, I think Chris will be able to continue to get significant participation. Well, do you, does 68 become like the number? I think that's the high water mark. I don't think that's the target moving forward. I don't think that's the goal. I just think that happened. I think that's a special thing that happened in 2021. It could happen again, no doubt about it. But I, I don't think that's something that is uh, ever going to be normal, ever. Mark, Marco Lopez, would you get into an import and drive one? Hell yes. And if anybody was looking for a driver, I'm in. If I can drive one of those little starlets with a Liberty and a rotary motor, I'm in. I want to own one. Uh, but yeah, like any import people, um, any of you, anybody operating in the import space looking for a wheel man, I'd love to. I'm your Huckleberry. I'll drive it. I love that. I just, I'm in. Big fan. Huge, huge, huge fan. Uh, Brian Upchurch, first time tuning in. Great stories and info. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you being here. It means a lot to us, more than you know. Um, Ronnie Wicks, Mountain Motor Pro Stock at the next uh, World Series. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're talking about the World Door Slammer Nationals. That is my goal. I'm going to make some significant changes. I mean, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and there's a ton of stuff. I've got to tell all you guys, we have some some really crazy, exciting initiatives, some projects that we're working on at Drag Illustrated that are coming down the pipe in the next 90 days, I would say. The next three months are going to be really, really, really exciting here. And I can't wait to share all of it with you or, or most of it with you. But um, I, I have some significant changes that I, I intend to make and some things that I want to modify and do a little differently or whatever. Uh, it is high on my priority list to include Mountain Motor Pro Stock in 2022. I think that a, like my dad's got a Mountain Motor Pro Stock car. I love that stuff. I grew up on it. Like that was what my dad, my dad always wanted to 500 inch race, but we felt like it was kind of like beyond, it wasn't necessarily realistic. Tried it had, you know, did a little bit of it or whatever, but I think he always looked at Mountain Motor Pro Stock as something that was attainable. Um, I'm excited that he's getting to live that dream right now uh, with Justin Kirk driving the car behind the wheel. Um, I, I just think that there's a lot of good cars there. I think there's some stars in the making over there. I think Johnny Placino, he's recently on the cover of our magazine, Drag Illustrated, about two issues back. I just think this kid's got it. Uh, really would love to have him included from a competitive aspect. And as a star aspect, like when you're in the promotion business, you look at things somewhat differently. Um, you you want to add and subtract or whatever it, in meaningful fashion. So anything that I add to the race, I want it to bring star power. I want to bring in classes or people, whatever that move the needle. And I think that bringing mountain motor pro stock in, they have a really rabid fan base. 
really strong on the East Coast fan-wise. A lot in the Northeast, admittedly, but a really strong fan base. They've got some iconic names. J.R. Carr, John Montecalvo, right? Um, yeah, I mean, Machine Gun Monty, uh, another world-class individual. And it, it just great cars, great competition. And I'm obviously leaving a ton of people out, but um, Elijah Morton, these guys, Brian Game. There's just a ton of hitters in that world that have a lot of door slammer legacy or door slammer history. Love to have them be a part of the event. And I do remind people sometimes, and I don't know if this serves us or not, but we've only done this race twice, right? And we get, I feel sometimes that we're held to a really high standard and I'm flattered by it and I take it. I, I own it. It's good. It's fine. So I wouldn't have it any other way. But remember, we're in year two, right? Like NHRA existed for like a decade before they had pro stock, right? So like, not literally, but close, you know? So like, just remember that we're, this is a process for us. We get one at bat a year right now. NHRA by and large puts on 22, 24 events a year so they can learn faster and they can grow. It's just a different thing. So anyways, we're in year two. We're, we're a month removed from year two, our second at bat. We will continue to improve. We don't know any other way. We will not rest on our laurels. We will not rest on past successes. We're going to find ways to expand and, in, and improve the event. So bear with us and we appreciate you being along for the ride. So what else do we got? All right. Last couple ones. <sighs> Hearing. All right. Robert had, Oh, what, whoa, whoa, whoa. what do you think about big rim racing? Um, bro, I'm into it. Kinda. Um, I, I really am. I, I don't, it's not like, I'm not like going to a bunch of donk races or whatever, but I'll tell you like my favorite, um, uh, my favorite cars to race on door slammer drag racing this game. My favorite clap. Like I love, I they have donks on here now. It's hilarious. Um, it's my favorite. It's really cool. I think that there's a big following. Those events get big turnout, big participation. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, man. And I just like stuff that's sketchy. Right. I mean, I know, I mean, I'm not trying to be, I'm not anti-safety, whatever. Um, I'm really not, but I just think it's sketchy and fun. Like driving stuff like that, driving cars like that is fun. Like having a car that's a handful, whether it's a street car or a race car, like call Steve Matusik, founder of Aeromotive Fuel Systems, call him and ask him about like his favorite car ever to drive. And he'll tell you it was his twin turbo Ford Mustang that had a Liberty in it right? Like that thing was a handful, one hand on a steering wheel, one hand on a shifter, you know, rowing gears, like short shifting, leave hanging it out a little Those cars are fun to drive. That thing would cut a donut in third gear in the middle of the racetrack. Right. Um, Richard Freeman tell you the same thing about like the, Richard will tell you, would tell you that the funnest cars to drive in drag racing are mountain motor pro stock cars, wheels up, sitting you back in the seat, torque monsters, shifting gears, like stuff like that's fun. And when I kind of look at, um, when I look at donk racing, I just see that this stuff, they're sketchy, they're skating around. looks like fun to me. Would like to do it. Um, all right. There's a couple here I want to answer and then we'll, we'll throw, we'll stop. Okay. Uh, Q and a, what stops Mickey Thompson from making a 33 inch or 34 and a half inch tall drag radio? I, um, I don't, I think there's some, I know, I can't say anything. I probably know enough to be dangerous, but not 
enough to be correct or informative necessarily. Um, I know that they have some really cool new big radial stuff in development at Mickey Thompson. Um, I'm fortunate to have had a long-term working relationship with the team at Mickey, Mickey Thompson, Don Snedden, um, and, uh, Tommy Kundrick, who's actually a dear friend of mine. I, I mean, literally a, a dear friend of mine that I talk to regularly. And I'm aware of some big, some larger diameter, some larger size radial tires that are coming down the pipe from Mickey Thompson. So Tyler, I'd be on the lookout. Um, keep your ear to the ground, uh, follow Mickey Thompson or Tommy Kundrick on social media. They're doing a ton of testing. They do a lot of their tire testing down in Orlando. And I anticipate hearing some stuff about some big radial tire, bigger size radial tires yet in 2021. Nathan Adam, what's my screen name? Shit, I don't even know. El Chapo. No, it's not El Chapo. That's what I named my car. I named my car El Chapo. Hold on. I'll try to tell you what my home W Buck is my name. Um, door slammer. W Buck. Look me up, Nathan. Um, there was a Sam Smith question. Robert Height said on the Power Hour. Shout out to CompetitionPlus.com. Robert Height said he would like to be a part of the door, a part of the door slammer race in a pro stock. This is, I mean, that excites me. And I will tell you, Sam Smith and anybody else that's listened, Robert Height or anyone else in the world that cares, I will work hard for you to get you in a door car. Um, very hard. I will do anything within my power. I will work on your behalf. I will negotiate on your behalf. I will, um, I'll do a lot of things. Um, I don't know that I could make it free or whatever, but I think I could make it work. And if there are any nitro racers, top fuel racers, funny car racers that want to be a part of something special that want to diversify, that want some new experiences, I'd love to have conversations with you because my dream and my vision for the world door slammer nationals is to create something of a chili bowl. Um, Many of you motorsports aficionados know what the Chili Bowl is. It's like the biggest sprint car race on the planet. One of the biggest sprint car races on the planet. And it is not at all unusual for the Chili Bowl to bring racers from other walks of the racing life to sprint car racing. You got, I mean, this may not be completely accurate, but I'm just using these as examples where you've got like Ron Caps, Nitro Funny Car Racer, but he, ran, he runs a Napa car in the Chili Bowl, Cruz Pedragon. You know, he's racing the, the, the snap-on funny car in NHRA competition, but he's got, you know, for one race, he comes in and runs the Chili Bowl in the snap-on um, uh, sprint car. There's some examples of late model. Tony Stewart, who I know one of the next questions I saw down here in the comments is about, is a great example. Tony Stewart, you know, is a legendary, iconic Hall of Fame NASCAR driver, but he's raced everything, right? He's raced late model stock cars. He's ro- raced... Um, everything midget. I mean, he's raced everything, right? I want with every fiber of my being to turn the door slammer nationals into an event of that magnitude where Ron caps brings, you know, rents a car from a pro stock team and wraps it blue and yellow. And it's the Napa pro stocker. And he races it one time a year. Now, granted there is some nuances, like could they get comfortable enough behind the wheel in that amount of time to be competitive. I would argue that they could drivers going drive, 
these cars are difficult to drive, no question. And there are certainly those that probably from the nitro ranks, maybe that, that couldn't be, or that wouldn't ever be comfortable enough to feel like they could be competitive. I don't know. I have a lot of faith in these people, maybe too much. I don't know, but it is truly um, a goal of mine to turn the world door slammer nationals into an event that's so significant that anybody that's earning a living in drag racing doesn't really have a choice, but to find a way to participate in it. And I think by having, uh, you know, pro stock and pro mod, I've got some options, whichever pathway kind of interests you. There's some cost differentiation where, I mean, I'm telling you, Sam, whatever, I'll text Robert Height when we hang up or when I get off this show, because I'll put a deal together to get a triple a, you know, automobile club of Southern California pro stocker out there. I'll find a way. Um, I'll find a way to get, Tony Stewart in a pro stock car. I'll find a way to get Leah Pritchett in a pro stock car. Um, Ron Caps, I got to get that done. I mean, it, these things mean a lot. Cruz Pedregon. I think that can happen. I think our format of being preseason is helpful. The fact that we're before the NHRA season even starts. Um, the fact that we basically you have the track for the week. So, I mean, my dream scenario would be to get a Robert Height bring him in on Monday, spend Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, acclimating him to the car, making some tech, doing some burnouts, doing, making some passes, licensing him or whatever. And then come Thursday, Friday, he's making some test runs and qualifying and, and running for the money. That's a legit goal of mine that I, um, I'm going to work hard to achieve. So. Yeah. You know, the, I, here I see, uh, Doug Collette has driven in the Chili Bowl. Great example. A lot of those guys have raced go-karts at different level. Um, yeah, man. It's all good. All very good things. All right. Well, I've been on here way long enough. Thank you guys all so much for being a part of this. Let me burn up your afternoon like I just did. If there's anything we can do for you at Drag Illustrated, remember, log on www.dragillustrated.com. You can read the entire magazine for free on uh, di.com and shoot me messages. Wes at dragillustrated.com emails, the go-to easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, shoot me a message. If you have something you want to talk about on the show, post it in here, send us a message, send me an email and I'll try to weave it into the show next week or, or sometime soon. Thank you guys all so much for what you guys do. Um, if you guys aren't out spending tires and spending money and going drag racing, I won't have anything to talk about. So Thank you all so much for your contribution. Thanks for clicking share. Thanks for clicking like. I'll see you next Wednesday, Chase Gallagher. Yes, we will return with a major event in Denver at some point in the future. Um, somehow, some way, Bandomir means too much to this group of people not to go there every freaking summer. So we'll find a way, brother. Thank you guys, and we will talk soon.